On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. So today's episode of Innovation and Leadership is sponsored by Skillshare. They're an online learning platform with over 22,000 classes. I looked it up. It's business and marketing and technology and design and data science and web development. You name it, they've got it. The one I'm probably most interested in taking next is by Simon Sinek, the guy with that super famous TED Talk. Um, it's about presentation essentials, and uh, I'm just a big fan of him. I think it's cool they've actually got a class by him on the platform. If you want to check that one out or any of the other ones, um, if you go to Skillshare.com slash leader, our listeners get a deal. You can get uh, two months of unlimited access for 99 cents. So you get all these 22,000 classes uh, as much as you want for those two months for the 99 cents at uh, Skillshare.com slash leader. One last time, Skillshare.com slash leader. Check it out. This is Innovation and Leadership, where we interview Navy SEALs, venture capitalists, pro athletes, best-selling authors, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of high achievers as we can get to come on the show. Today's episode is going to be from our mini-series that we created with Corporate Alliance, asking top CEOs and executives and entrepreneurs who have had very large exits, specifically about their thoughts on leadership and people. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. If you missed part one, please go back and hear about how he's co-founder and CEO of Workfront, now chairman, built that up to a very significant organization. Uh, the new business, Motivosity, um, and uh, the ability for coworkers to give each other money, which is a pretty great idea <laughs> in shaping culture. Um, but, uh, Scott, when you, when we are ending off kind of in part one of the episode, um, where do you think, why do you think it's so hard? You, you talked about this idea of getting more dialed into what really matters in life versus are you on the cover of this magazine or how rich are you or this kind of stuff. Um, why do you think that's such a challenge for, for humans in general and for ambitious leader types specifically? Yeah, I think it's probably harder for ambitious leader types. Look, we like to win, right? Uh, I like to win at everything I do. doesn't matter if it's a contest for holding your breath or uh, anything. Like if you can turn it into a contest and win, that sometimes it's how we're wired. And 
as a business leader, if you're wired that way and you, you want to win, it's, it's really tough to also be able to sit back and, and roll with the punches, so to speak, and, and not get overly wound up about how people perceive how much you're winning. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's hard for everybody, but knowing kind of the competitive nature of a lot of entrepreneurs and, and business leader, that's uh, even tougher for them. Yeah, it's interesting that external scoreboard, right? Um, you know, there's a, Tim Ferriss in his, in his book, I think it's the four-hour work week, talks about um, making money we don't need to buy stuff we don't want to impress people we don't really care about. Yeah, and you think about how much how much of your life you can use up on that when you could be backcountry snowboarding, right? Amen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, for everybody who doesn't know, Scott is a very active snowboarder and is about to go to uh, to the motherland up close near Canada to go ride the Selkirks, and uh, a little jealous, not gonna lie. Um, so, getting back to um, folks who are trying to lead an organization and help their people really deliver on the potential. Um, you, you talked about, you know, as you went from a business, you know, zero to a thousand staff, the different inflection points along the way. Um, what are some things that you feel like you wouldn't have learned any other way than actually doing it yourself? Oh, you, you know, you, you want to learn from other people's, mistakes and other people's perceptions and i think there's a bit of a gap sometimes between book learning and actual real learning that that happens in real life and if we could all learn from book learning we would all i think be doing a lot better um we talk to ceos all the time about culture and and trust and driving better results and they all know the right thing to do. Like they've all read that a million times. They've, they've listened to the business books, you know, they read Forbes, whatever. And they've heard these things and they, they, they know book learning that, yeah, if they behaved a certain way or did a certain thing, that it would have good results. So then why haven't they already done it? And it, is sometimes you kind of have to be smacked upside the head to kind of shift gears a little bit or be willing to shift gears and take action on something. And so I, I, I'm in that same camp. I think probably virtually everything I know by heart is because I've experienced it. And there's a ton of stuff I've read that I've now I've, I've learned it intellectually, but probably, you know, haven't had the, maybe a painful opportunity to drive it home. Yeah. Well, um, it's interesting the whole um, knowing what to do isn't enough, right? Like paying the price to get enough meaningful repetitions in. <laughs> Actually, yeah. you know, build skills, like getting those, like figuring out how to get at least enough determination or enough discipline to get into a mastery routine right so you can start to do it repeatedly um mm -hmm. and unfortunately for me how many times it takes doing it wrong painfully <laughs> to actually be willing to have that discipline to start doing it the other way right 
Yeah. Um, any thoughts about how to invite your staff to want to do that? I mean, when you when you start getting a large organization like you've had in the past, and I'm sure Motivosity will grow to, um, at some point, you know, you're you're trying to have influence with folks that you don't necessarily have personal interaction with. Um, can you talk about both, you know, the business, you know, the, the business platform, Motivosity, how that helps with that, and just any other theories you have about helping helping at scale? Yeah, so I would start, and I think there are, there are two things that really are kind of hand-in-hand, hand, two principles that can help you not lose control of things as the company starts to scale and your sphere of influence gets maybe diluted by a bunch of other influential factors within an organization. And those two things are, first of all, as, as the leader, you have to have a point of view on the world. Like you have to be able to articulate why you're doing what you're doing. And you have to be willing to stay true to that, even if it's not a revenue driver. The second is that, um, you have to be able to articulate the uniqueness of your team, your values. And I'm not talking about, like, I hate company values that are integrity uh, because how do you recognize that in the workplace? Like, okay, hey, thanks, you didn't lie to me yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's table stakes. But but real meaningful kind of attributes of, of who we really are as an organization. For example, you may be building the kind of company that you really want open sharing of ideas and you want people to feel like they can just chime in and contribute. And so that becomes, you know, one of your one of your values is, hey, we are this kind of team-spirited organization. Well, great. Now you now you bring in your rock star who has come from a big company and it's all about them show when they join the company and instantly what you've done is you've hired somebody who's not a fit with what you've said you are. And if you allow that to happen, what's what it's going to do is kind of destroy your company identity and then at that point, that's when people start to feel like, hey, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't who we are. This isn't who I am. And now you've got kind of this mismatch and there's nothing inspiring going on anymore. And so if if I could give anybody advice, it would be, look, on, on day one, sit down and articulate how you believe the world should look and function. That's your point of view as it pertains to your product. And second of all, how are you going to deliver that to the world? Like what, what does your team look like? How are you going to behave and what kind of, what's your team personality? How, how do you describe that? And you need to be very willing to hire to those values and fire because someone lacks those values as well. And you need to be able to very clearly articulate your point of view. And what I found is when you do that, all of a sudden, um, those things act as amplifiers to your voice. And you don't have to have such direct impact with everybody anymore because 
everybody kind of gets it and they're in lockstep with you and it, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I thinking about that phenomenon, especially on sales teams, I've heard it referred to as toxic numbers where you get somebody who comes in and they, they're getting such good sales that it's so tempting for management not to let them go, but they're kind of wrecking the company by <laughs> the bodies they leave in their wake, you know? And, uh, it just, yeah, it takes a lot of guts to, uh, to not give in to the temptation of, but this guy's making me look good because we're making the numbers, you know, and to like have the faith we'll be able to, we'll be better in the long term. Even if you know you'll be better in the long term, there's such a temptation it seems like to, to take the guy who's making the numbers now and we'll figure that out later or we'll try and change him later or you know, right. And you know, get back to if that bot if the boss is someone who's taken themselves way too seriously, they're not going to get rid of that person. They're going to deal with the toxic numbers because their motivations are, you know, outside of where they should be. Yeah. Um, well, and let's talk about this when it does come to sales and attracting customers through marketing and stuff. Um, you know, there's the Richard Branson quote about take, take care of your staff so well, they'll take care of your customers. You know, I'm slaughtering it, but along those lines, um, wh who, for starters, who is an ideal customer for Motivosity? So uh, our, our target sweet spot is companies that are uh, 150 to 3,000 employees. You know, we kind of bleed a little bit outside of that on, on either side, but it's really, it's companies whose employees are knowledge workers, whose work environment is somewhat collaborative. And uh, typically it's companies that are, growing and, and companies that are caring about their work environment and, and willing to do something about it. Yeah. When it comes to helping your team, you know, whether it's marketers writing something to attract them or salespeople talking to folks like that, or just, you know, customer service people inside the company that need to have that, you know, the consistent interaction where the the feeling the customer is getting from you guys is consistent there, right? Um, mm -hmm. What does that look like? Do you have a formal training program? Is it, what does that, uh, what does that look like to help your folks be in the right headspace of caring about what's going on in your customer's life or stuff like that? Well, uh, it, it starts with one of our company values, which is care about the customer Okay, everybody cares about their customer, but for us, what that really means is we pretend that we have only one customer, and that customer is you. So if, if you're a customer and you're asking some stupid question for the 15th time, you, you get our full attention, you get our full respect, and, you know, we're going to still proactively reach out and make sure that you're getting the value that you want to get out of our solution. And, and so for us, it starts with, and I, I know it's, it can be tempting sometimes to say care about certain customers or care about the important customers, but, and sometimes it can be a little bit inconvenient 
you know, especially if it's after hours and a customer has a question, our, our team is going to look at it and say, look, we only have one customer and it's these guys. So let's take care of them with a smile on our face because that's, that's why we're here. Um, beyond that, you know, we really try to uh, develop a, a, a system that is focused on delivering value for the customer and building that into all of our um, sales materials and customer success materials and, and training and, and uh, our, our approach to get people into the product and recognizing value. Yeah. Um, and let, let's talk about let's talk about this for an, for a minute. So, who is it at the company that's likely buying from you guys? Is it HR? Well, is yeah, it... ultimately, it's almost always HR, and sadly, that's because ninety two percent of CEOs outsource culture to HR. Um, and so, you know, thinking about that role, right? There's um, you know, as a generalization, there's a lot more women in that role, in my experience. Um, you know, our consulting firm works a lot with, with those folks, right? Uh, and a lot of times where their, a lot of their results are, what does it feel like to work it here versus some of their colleagues? Um, you know, like if they're on an executive team, their, their metrics are what number changed, right? So they're not always speaking the same language as the other folks around the table off of an Excel spreadsheet. Um, in my experience, and you know, tell me if you see it differently. Um, and I don't know if you find this. I feel like there's a lot of constraints on them where it's like, hey, do everything, but we're only going to give you this much budget. Um, a, do you see their roles like that at all? And B, how do you work with them in the way that you do see their role? Yeah, so A, that that has definitely been their role. And uh you know, I suppose if you were trying to try to pick somebody to sell something to, HR would be maybe one of the hardest places to start because of what you just described. But that said, times are changing. And look at what's happened in the workplace, even in the last year. And there are definitely some bad examples, some, you know, some kinds of trends that have blown up and gotten front page attention that have highlighted bad cultures in the workplace. But more importantly, CEOs, executives are starting to realize that something needs to be done differently to be able to attract and retain top talent. And part of that is because millennials see things a little bit differently and they're at work for a little bit different reason than say the boss's generation came to work. And so some of the things, some of the ways that companies uh, are organized don't have as much splash anymore. And so there's really an opportunity for HR leaders to be strategic in their organizations now and to come to the table with ideas that will shape the future of the company and impact its ability to compete in the marketplace. And I'm not just talking about talent. When your employees are happy and, and love where they are and feel a sense of belonging and loyal to it, that bleeds over into customers and customer relationships and customer satisfaction. 
And when they're willing to, you know, not wanting to stick it to the big man, they're willing to share ideas that help the company lead out in thought leadership and innovation. And of course, when retention goes down and productivity goes up, it's, uh, it goes straight to profits on the bottom line. And so there are three ways that the company wins. And all that is a very strategic action that's now being led by HR. And so what we do is we go in and work with HR leaders to help them put together this pitch for the executive team where they actually look like heroes and they do something that six months into it, everybody in every level of the company is thanking them for their vision. And for us, that's a huge win. Well, and it does seem like, you know, organizations like yours are putting some new tools in their hands that can help them maybe earn some more of the respect they probably deserve. Like, um, you think about, you know, you come from a marketing background. I, I consider myself a closet marketing nerd, you know. Uh, you look at what's happened in marketing automation and in marketing tech and, you know, so much of it moving from being uh, an art to more of a science where you can actually track and know what happened instead of just hope and guess, right? It does mm -hmm. feel like there's a lot of that potential in HR uh, and learning and development of, of like by putting in people analytics, like I know you guys have that as part of your product. Now things can become, you know, you can have much more tangible conversations and, and now they've got a number to bring to the executive board meeting, right? We were this, now <laughs> yeah. it's this. Um, True. Is that, what, what would you, I mean, what do you feel like the future of people analytics is? Yeah, you know, what, what you bring up is an interesting concept. I, I never actually really thought of it like, hey, now you have a number to bring to the boardroom, but it, it's true. It, it definitely does provide that. Um, I think that what we're really trying to accomplish with people analytics is finding a way to describe the the health of the emotional health of the organization almost. And, uh, you know, we've, we've tried to do that a lot of different ways with, with different disciplines and so forth. But ultimately what you're after is an organization where people are wanting to do their best and uh, wanting to, you know, wanting to contribute every way possible. Now what ends up getting in the way of that is usually ourselves. You know, we have managers who, shut down initiatives because they want to keep people focused on this or that, or you have, you know, all sorts of different dynamics that, that go on that, that kind of almost work to kill that spirit of enthusiasm and innovation inside the company. So we, we see it as just um, trying to do battle with the way things have been. Yeah. What do you feel like is, you know, and, and I know we, we're, we're kind of closing in on the end of the second episode here, but um, for folks who, who are in that, what do you feel like is maybe a couple of the biggest levers to, to overcome that status quo? Um, so when, when we talk, we've really identified three, we call them the three Bs, um, and it's three things that employees need to be in order to 
truly, truly be engaged and loyal in an organization. And those three B's are to, they need to be trusted, they need to be visible, and they need to be connected. And there really isn't a lot that an employee can point to where they say, I am trusted as an employee. I mean, what is it that you can do at your job that you don't have to get any approval for whatsoever? And, you know, most people say, well, I can go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Um, But there isn't a whole lot in corporate anything that sort of says, hey, we trust you. And so that's the that's the first area that we really are focusing on and, and talk to HR leaders is something that totally breaks the status quo. And our conversations will usually start something like, how comfortable would your leadership team be giving every employee $5 at the beginning of each month and letting them give it to whoever they want for whatever reason with no approvals whatsoever? And it's astonishing how many companies say, we actually have a problem with that. And the companies that are game to take this experiment and run with it or to sort of make take that leap of faith and, and give it a try, it's unbelievable what such a small thing can do in terms of morale and result. It's, it's actually mind-blowing how much difference it makes, and it's because you just did the very smallest thing you could that says, I trust you. And that effort is returned in spades. And so I think that would be probably our first first place. Let's buck the status quo by teaching you guys how to extend a little trust to your people. Yeah. No kidding. Well, um, this has been great. Thanks for making so much time here. Um, Maybe to close, um, just uh, what what would be just kind of your on on any subject? What would be maybe your your top bit of advice or the best advice you've ever received or something for just for leaders today trying to grow an organization? What's what would be your what would be your closing thought here? Oh man, pressure's on. Um, for me, when I'm building my when I'm when I'm hiring, when I'm building a team, there's only one question that really matters. And that is, how passionate are you about our mission? Do we share, do we geek out on the same objectives? And if so, like everything else can work. But it, that would be my advice is make sure that the people that, that you're building your team with Make sure that they love the same thing. Make sure that their reason for existence aligns with the reason for your existence as a company. And if so, you're going to have a win on your hands. Uh, never let anybody go because they weren't smart enough to do a job. It's always because of attitude reasons. It's because they don't love what they're doing. And I, I think life is really short and we all should be doing what we love. <laughs> Wise words right there. I think it's a good place. Like, like snowboarding. Right? <laughs> um, uh, especially in fresh powder, right? 
Yes, it must be fresh powder. <laughs> okay, thanks again. This was great. Uh, appreciate you making time for us. All right. Well, thank you. Talk to you later. Great. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or four hundred million dollars. Anyways, he uh, he started a new company called BlipBillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run, and it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.